Hello everyone, this is Rick from NEO and um, here we are again recording another episode for our podcast and uh, tonight I've got a wonderful guest from all the way over in Greece, um, it's the ever so lovely Chris Joran. Hi Chris. Hi Rick. Hey, good to have you on the podcast. It's good to be here. Yes, absolutely. So um, Chris, uh, most people won't know you, uh, at least not, uh, you know, they might know your work, but they may not know you as a person. So would you mind introducing yourself? Sure. Uh, so I'm Chris Guerin. I come from Athens, Greece. Um, I'm a software engineer and I have been uh, in the boiler room of Neo4j working in the kernel deep within, very close to the disk for the past four years, four years since something now. Uh, yeah, I've been in the kernel team since pretty much the beginning. Wow. Uh, and I've also moved over uh, occasionally to the AJ component and I'm currently one of the two primary authors of the current AJ offering when we moved from Zookeeper to AJ, to Paxos, basically. Cool. Cool. Hey Chris, and how did you get to Neo4j? Can you, can you tell us a little bit of the history there? Yeah, sure. Uh, so when I was fresh out of university, uh, one of my primary research interests was uh, databases uh, as an undergraduate. And I worked a bit in the industry, working as a database uh optimizer, I guess. I was working with relational databases trying to make them work faster, uh, especially because most of the ORM uh, solutions like oblique object to relational mapping solutions that people use to create websites are not that efficient with the SQL uh, they produce. So, yeah, and um, being into databases, being really into software engineering in Java, uh, I started looking into the NoSQL solutions that were popping up uh, at that time. And Neo4j drew my attention because uh, it was written in Java and it was, uh, and it still is of course, uh, a true ACID database. And I really wanted to get into the actual implementation of the thing instead of just being a user. Uh -huh. uh, so I started reading the source code and I wrote a series of articles describing how Neo4j manages its uh, transactional aspects, how it stores information to the disk, how it ensures locking isolation, all the good things that we've come to expect from databases. But, but you uh, were not working for Neo at the time, right? You were just no, a community no. member, right? I was just a community member. Yeah. Uh, if even that, I was just <laughs> a guy interested in how it works, basically. Very cool. Uh, so yeah, I wrote those, uh, those articles and Peter Neubauer, basically, basically picked them up along with the rest of the team, which was very young at the time. And we got to talking about it. Uh, I got the opportunity to write some code. Uh, basically, it was around getting external transaction managers to work with Neo4j so that you can have real two-phase commits between, for example, Neo4j and another database yep. like MySQL. Mm -hmm. uh, and we integrated that into the kernel and yeah. As they say, everything is history after that. Yes, the rest is history, absolutely. So, and then you started working for Neo, you know, as a, as a software engineer. You know, what, what were some of the main things that you worked on? You mentioned the HA implementation, right? Yeah, so like I said, I started off uh, working in the kernel, basically. So my first big task was uh, moving into the new property store that we use right now, which is more compressed than the original versions of Neo, uh, taking up less space, and it's also more efficient because it, you know, it takes up less memory and you can read more from disk with one go. Uh, the other, after that though, I started moving into a, uh, AJ and initially I tried to optimize the way that we used Zookeeper 
to make uh, like big cluster offerings work more efficiently. Yeah. But then we saw the shortcomings of that approach. And me and Richard Doberg, basically, we got down and we rewrote the way that AJ works. And we moved away from Zookeeper, uh, which great software as it may be, it wasn't fit for our purpose. And we wrote uh, from scratch a Paxos implementation which does pretty much the same thing, but in a much more controlled fashion, and a way that we can debug it and maintain it and make it far more performant. And Paxos, Chris, uh, just so for our for our listeners, so right. Paxos, that's a that's a, a protocol, right? It's a it's a high availability protocol. Uh, basically, it's a distributed consensus mechanism. Uh, it's uh, it's one of the primary protocols used from at for atomic broadcast, and in simple words, it means that it makes sure that it it it. it uh, it makes sure that all the machines in the cluster know exactly the same things, okay. even in the face of partial failures or complete failures. Okay. Uh, yeah, and, and that's and what we use. That's that's what Neo4j, you know, the current version 2.2 uses, right? Yes, that's exactly right. Since cool. 1.9, basically. 1.9 was had both Zookeeper and AJ as an offering. You could switch between the two, basically, mm -hmm. uh, or close anyway. And uh, but since uh, 2.0, AJ, uh, the Paxos, the current Paxos offering has been the only, yeah, the only thing that we use. Okay, cool. So um, maybe I can you know, sort of sort of quickly uh, um, zoom out a little bit. You know, mm -hmm. you, you mentioned that you were interested in databases uh, already, but you know, was there anything specific about the graph model or the graph database model that that attracted you to Neo? You know, what, what was a what did you like about uh, Neo uh, at the time when you started using it? Uh, so, uh, my first interest in Neo was mostly the technology behind it. It was a grassroots database that had asset guarantees, and that's what drew me to it. It wasn't the model, to be honest. But very soon, I came to realize, uh, getting involved in all the, the ecosystem and seeing how people use this, uh, both as community members and as like large deployments that we had at the time, uh, that even though it was such a small code base and it had... It really wasn't as mature as most of the uh, relational offerings. It offered uh, very similar guarantees, but insanely faster performance. That was the thing that struck me first. Yeah. Uh, so it was uh, the lack of joins, basically, right? Mm -hmm. yep. And the other was uh, was the lack of impendous mismatch between the object-oriented paradigm of programming and the way that you store stuff in a graph. Because when you use a relational database, you have a, a round peg that you f try to fit in a square hole, yeah. basically. Yeah. But when you have a graph, you can map pretty much one-to-one -one, uh, all your domain objects onto the disk, and you will never know the difference. And testament to that has been the Spring framework, right? Which was essentially the, the effort of just one person uh, Michael Hunger, who single-handedly provided an ORM from Spring onto Neo4j. Whereas if you see the solutions for the corresponding relational problem, they are insanely complicated and have mm -hmm. lots of shortcomings. Yeah, very cool. Okay, so um, Chris, where, where is it going? I mean, maybe you can we can zoom in on that one a little bit. I know mm -hmm. that you are, uh, you know, taking on some new adventures personally, you know, uh, uh, mm -hmm. you can talk That's about that true. if you want, but, uh, you know, where do you think the graph space or the graph database space is going as well? You know, what's your, uh, what's your uh, opinion on that? 
Well, judging from the stuff that we have seen that the market uh, wants, like our customer, customers basically, uh, as well as our own research interests and the way that we want to take things, uh, I can see that I see two trends basically. One is graph processing, global graph processing. Uh, that's something that looks really, really interesting, which is Whereas most of the NoSQL solutions right now, perhaps they are better suited for online transaction processing. We also want to move into graph global queries and do like application pro black batch processing of very, very, very big graphs. Yep. Uh, provide functionality like a graph compute engine or like huge graphs that you can process really fast and you know, do data mining or do interesting analytics on it. Like distrib distribution of queries and all those types of things that so, you're thinking of? Exactly. Yeah. And that actually leads us in nicely to the second thing that, that I'd like to see, which is really, really big graphs. Uh, right now, there is no real offering for uh, having graphs that are practically unlimited in size. Uh, this is something that we are looking into uh, for Neo4j. We've been doing so for a long time, semi-publicly, basically. Yeah. Um, and we really want to move into that direction. I'd really like to see clusters of thousands of machines processing huge amounts of data with the ease that we've come to know from Neo4j when it comes to single instance data, yeah. basically. So it's not only performance, it's also the, the abilities that you gain, the kinds of stuff that you can do very easily when you have that technology. Okay, very cool. So, Chris, you know, you personally, you're going, you're going to do some new uh, interesting adventures, right? Do you want to talk about that or do you want yeah, to mention sure. that? Or, uh... Uh, I can talk briefly about it. Yeah. Uh, apart from my software engineering uh, interests and graphs in particular, yeah. um, I'm also very, very interested in uh, doing some work in journalism. Uh, so, for the past, uh, I don't know, two months, I think, uh, I've been working as a data journalist in a new venture, like uh, an NGO in Athens, Greece, where we try to do that, uh, that sort of work. And currently, I'm the only junior data journalist on staff. Super. Uh, does, does it has a, have a name already? Uh, does the, the agency have a name already? Uh, yeah, it's, uh, the, the, the name is the Aneosis. Okay. Which sounds like a Greek word, but it really isn't. It's, I mean, it's not. It's a portmanteau. It's a <laughs> connection. It's, no, it's a concatenation of two words from okay. Greek. Okay. Um, I'll, put a link, I'll, I'll put a link to it on the on the on the blog post that goes with the podcast. Maybe that's a sure good when we launch because yeah. we don't have we don't have a site right now. <laughs> okay, uh, it's we're launching mid-May. But that's one of the things that data journalism is also a domain that can gain from uh, from graphs, by the yep. way. And we already have projects uh, starting that can use that will be using Neo4j basically for ontology processing to start with, uh, which is yeah. Very cool. Exciting. So, Chris, I think we're going to wrap up. We want to keep these podcasts reasonably short. So, thank you so much for uh, spending the time with me. I really appreciate it. And um, uh, good luck with your uh, ventures, both at Neo and uh, with your uh, your um, uh, agency. Uh, thank you for coming on online, uh, Chris. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Rick. Thank uh, you for doing this. And yeah, thank you for everything, basically. Cheers. Bye. <laughs> cheers.